Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds and over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs, and a place to donate to keep the special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members, and they do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, my lovely friend, Ziva. Welcome. Hi, my name is Ziva, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Ziva. And thank you, David, who is not here, for asking me. And, you know, when I woke up this morning, I thought, I wish I had another story to tell, not my own. But I will tell my own story, and I just want to say those who are old-timers and struggling, I hope I can give you a message of hope. And those who are new, I hope I will not scare you away. <laughs> so it's just one person's story. And I joined OA. Oh, and I have pictures. I'll pass them out. I joined OA in 1980, so it's 37 years ago. And God willing, if I do tomorrow what I did today, then December 22nd, I'll celebrate 10 years of abstinence. So for 20 years in the program, I was unable to be on a path of recovery. And I'll tell you what it used to be like and what helped me enter the journey of recovery. So I was born in Israel, and I was born, <laughs> I was born into a family where there was a lot of sadness, a lot of emptiness, and a lot of inappropriate behavior. And I discovered food, I think, at age two. And I'm very grateful for that because food really saved me. It filled the hole of emptiness and sadness, and it regulated my anxiety. So it was a very useful tool, and I'm very grateful for it. I think that it was around my teen years that I crossed the line from using food to abusing food. And that started the pattern. I was never a yo-yo dieter, so it wasn't gaining and losing. It was binging to the point of being sick and then recovering. So during the recovery period, I ate very little, and then I could binge again. So I think that what saved me at those years from being obese was that I, I had to recover for a while because my binges were so... My whole eating pattern is just, my disease is a disease of self-hate. And that's why my recovery is the recovery of kindness and love to myself and to my body. But I, I mean, the level of self-hate and aggression toward my body that I have done when I ate was really intense. So... You know, I'm 67, so if I go year by year, we'll be here until 3 a.m. <laughs> so I will pass forward, and I did this pattern of eating a lot and binging a lot and feeling sick and not being able to stop. And I must say that all my memories, all my memories from childhood but life in general is connected to food. I just have this memory of what well, I had this new friend in kindergarten and I was invited to her home and I remember walking into her house and feeling like I'm enveloped by this blanket of smell of brownies baking. 
And I have this memory so clear, and I loved going there. <laughs> and, and, you know, I have memories of family members and what I ate in their house. I have, like, all my memories, all my friendships growing up was about how we binged or how we didn't binge or how, what we cooked and how, what we ate. And I used to babysit for families, and I would eat their whole, you know, house. I mean, I ate and ate and ate, and, and it's interesting because I went, I went back to Israel to visit, and I visited one of those families that I, she was in Israel 30 years, 40 years ago, like Oprah Winfrey here. She was like a big celebrity, and I was her babysitter. She used to call me Mary Poppins, and the kids loved me. And I used to eat up a storm when those kids went to sleep. And one time the grandmother came to visit and she brought this favorite dish for the grandkids made from, of course, noodles. And I think I ate three quarters of it. And it was one of those things I couldn't replace because, you know, the whole thing of replacing. I couldn't replace that. And I, I didn't know what to do. And I ended up telling them that it fell on the floor and the dog ate it. And so now, 30 years later, I went to visit in Israel. I went to visit her, the mom, the kids are grown. And I I said to her, you know, I owe you an amend. And I told her the story. And she said, and you thought we didn't know. And I I said, you know, thank you so much for being kind enough not to say anything and humiliate me. So they pretended that, you know, the naughty dog ate the... Anyway, so that's enough with food stories. So I came into the program. I joined the program in Israel. And I immediately felt like I'm joining a club of my people. I felt loved. I felt connected but I couldn't get abstinent. I would get abstinent for a very short period of time, and then I would binge again and be in relapse. And in three years later, we moved to the United States. And again, now I was married at the time to a man that my weight was his business. So my weight, you know, and you'll see my pictures going around. There is one picture that I think I look anorexic. I'm like size six. And he then said, you know, if you lose five more pounds, you really would look finally good. Later on, I found out, and I'll get that out of the system, those who heard my story know it, that he's a gay man. And he wanted me to look like an attractive boy. (laughs) But to finish the story, I would just say that 15, 15 years later, I discovered that I'm a lesbian. So I will t- get that out of the way. And for those who are those who are new, this is not part of the recovery package. So just you know, just you know, that you know. Anyway, so so now so I'm in program and I'm back in and out of relapse and I just can't get it. And we lived in. We lived in California, then we moved to New York, then we moved to New England, and then back here. And, and everywhere that I lived, I was in program. And everywhere that I lived, I had a sponsor. And everywhere that I lived, I went to meetings. And I just couldn't get it. And I, would, I remember one time they talked about this speaker who 
everybody said that, you know, you hear him or her, I don't even remember. All I know is that it was one of those things that you are struck abstinence if you hear them. And I remember driving like an hour and a half, and it was really a very moving, you know, share. And then on the way home, I binged to celebrate his recovery. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I'm saying it, and it's, it's funny, I'm aware of it, but what's not funny is that what I didn't understand is that that speaker that shared a heartfelt pain was sitting through that pain, not eating. And I wanted to be struck abstinent, but I wasn't willing or able at the time to sit through any kind of pain. So the other thing that I realized in those years is that all the people in program who have what I want are very different in gender, in, in religion, in socioeconomic, you know, in, in everything. They only have one thing in common, one. They are willing, just willing to be on a spiritual path and to develop a relationship with a power that's greater than them. And I was not willing to do it, and that's why I couldn't be in recovery because every time I heard a speaker, when you said the word God, I tuned you out for a few minutes. And then when you started talking about the food and how, what you're doing, I paid attention again. Now, I grew up in a home where my mother's entire family perished in the Holocaust. She lost like 12 members in a week. They were like, anyway... So I grew up, there is no God. If there was a God, nothing like that could have happened, and we were not allowed to go to temple, and there was no practice of any religion. So I couldn't, you know, understand when people say, talked about their God like their friend, it was like, it doesn't make sense. And then I read a book. I won't go into it because it's an outside publication, but it was a spiritual leader that wrote about his challenge with God when his son was sick and died. And I read the book, and there was one line that he said in the book, which was, when my son got sick and later when he died, I believe that God cried. And that was the window for me to enter that path, because I can accept that there is a God, or there is an energy, or there is something and my, my understanding of God evolved over the years, and today what I believe is that God is the little part in me that knows better. That's God for me. And, but I was willing to reach out to that energy, and that reaching out to that energy allowed me, gave me the ability to sit through pain and discomfort. And being able to sit through pain and discomfort, I didn't need to numb myself with so much food, and I became abstinent nine and a half years ago. And my abstinence, what I have done perfectly for nine and a half years, is that I did not touch any dessert for nine and a half years. And that's a miracle. However, I still not, where I, like weight-wise, I would like to lose more weight, and I would like to, I'm praying for the willingness to, 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 to be willing to control and to eat less. And I would say that 87% of the time, maybe 85% of the time, and don't ask me where I got the number, but 85% of the time my food is just so beautiful and healthy and prepared with love. 
and, and could, is beautiful. But then there is the 15% where my portions are bigger and my choices are not great. And so that's what keeps me. And the older we get, the harder it is to lose weight. But what I want to talk now is about how do I use my connection with God in my recovery? And also, what other tools do I use that help me stay abstinent? So, the word, you know, I pray to that part in me that knows better, or to that God, or to whatever it is, on a regular basis. And I, I do it, like, in my daily life all the time. Like, if I have a difficult meeting at work where somebody that I supervise might come into my office and I need to address something that might be challenging... Before that person comes in, I close my door and I say, God, make me a channel of love. And, and I say it, I mean, like ten times a day about different things. And today I didn't feel like very secure coming here because I'm not very thin and whatever. And, you know, when I came here I was 29 and it was about vanity. Now it's about sanity. But I was sitting in the car and I was like, Ah, I wish I had a different story. I wish I was thinner. And then I said, God, make me a channel of love. I'm sure that there is at least one person in that room that needs to hear the story for me the way I am today. So it's like I'm using that all the time. The other thing that I use, I am transparent with my food 100% with my sponsor. So if I have a bigger meal or if I choose something that I usually don't eat, I report it because I believe that when I am not, I, this is my disease, so I can't keep things because when I keep it to myself, you know, that's when I get into trouble. And, and the other thing I do with my sponsor is I bookend things that, events that are challenging. So if I know that I'm going to an event where there will be a lot of food and I can't prepare myself, I bookend it. means I text before and I text when I leave. Or when I'm there, I decide what I'm going to eat and I let somebody know. Because doing that makes me, you know, puts me in the community and helps, helps me reach out to all you fellows who are, I believe, God's messengers. And, and, and it, it helps. It works. Um, you know, the one thing that I'm challenged with in the last few years, and I'm working on it and working through it, is I believe that compulsive overeating and mainly binging on sugar numbed my anxiety and my, my anxiety. And putting that down, my anxiety level has been going up. And I, and you know, I don't want to, you know, I, I must admit that I'm struggling with it. I'm struggling with what I call catastrophizing, which is having, I call them intrusive, because it's very intrusive, scary thoughts that come in throughout the day, all the time. And, and the way I deal with it is by meditation and prayer, because when I catastrophize over something terrible that will happen to one of my kids or to my partner or to myself, it's usually being afraid of something that didn't happen or worrying about something that happened in the past and is not relevant today. 
So when I meditate, it brings me back to the moment, and at the moment, everything is okay. And I, I found this mantra that is in Hebrew, that Hakol Beseder. Yes, everything will be okay. And I say to myself, and I, I find that when I sit still and say to myself, it helps. Now, my sponsor also had a suggestion that really is beautiful and works when I do it. When I want something very much and I know that it's not good for me, I pretend that I work with little kids. And I've really, all my life worked with kids. So if I would see a little kid want to take poison, and they would say, you know, Ziva, look, it's like it's in a lollipop. I want to lick it. It looks so good. How will I talk to that child? And I will tell them probably, I know, sweetie, it looks really good. I agree. But I love you, and I want to keep you safe, and I can't let you have it because it's poison. I mean, I don't know, whatever it is. So I talk to myself in that voice, in a voice of the parent that I never had, but in the voice of the parent that I was to my three kids. And so I have that part in me. And when I do it, and again, I don't do it all the time, but when I do it, it helps. Because it's like parenting that little, scared, empty, anxious person that lives inside of me and that will live there forever. And I, I, you know, the catastrophizing is not going away, but the good news is that I don't engage in it. So if a thought comes, I'll give you a thought that came today that is like, it's funny, but it's really not. I was resting and meditating in the afternoon, and then I thought, what will happen if in the middle of my share I get a stroke? (laughs) (laughs) Very funny. So I was like, now the difference is that in the past, I would visualize myself flying on Michelle and people asking for a doctor. Like, I would go into it. But this time, I said, thank you for sharing. (laughs) And I continue to meditate. So I don't feed into it. But the fact that I had that thought is disturbing. Because why am I not thinking, you know, I'm going to a meeting where I have an opportunity to share. I mean, I'm so fortunate to be nine and a half years abstinent, I mean, and doing it and having a higher power. But that thought is an example, and that's a tiny one because I didn't engage in it. So that's the best that I can do today is not engage in it. And, and I am I, I'm praying for the willingness to increase the time that I meditate because I know that that will help. Now, another just example of the power of prayer, I had a hard time exercising, meaning making a commitment to an exercise routine that I will keep. I never could do it. And about seven years ago, I just prayed every single morning. I said, God, grant me the willingness to move more. That was my prayer. And then six years ago, five years ago, I started going to this pool in the morning before work. And for the last five years, I've gone every week three times, and I haven't missed one week. And, and it's not me, because it happened, you know, in my 50s. After grow, all my life, I never exercised. And all I prayed for is give me the willingness to move more. 
and 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 I love it. I mean, I'm one of those people, I don't know, some people wake up and they're bright and shiny and happy, like my partner. I wake up and I'm grunky until I come back from the pool. Then I become, you know, happy and more comfortable, but I, I'm, not wa- I'm not one of those people that wakes up in a good mood. So, so that's something, you know, the pool. And then in the pool, in the pool, as I swim, I pray. Because at the end of the pool, there is a tree. And there is a song in Hebrew that I grew up with that I asked my sister the other day. My sister lives in Israel. If she remembers the song, and she said, you're the only person on earth that still remembers that song. <laughs> this singer is not even around. But anyway, I love the song. And the song is a woman singing to God who is hiding behind the tree. <laughs> and she said to God, it's about, you know, my God who is hiding behind the tree, I know you never see me, but it's my birthday and nobody remembers and I'm here behind it. and the wind is blowing and the leaves are bl- Anyway, it's a song that I love and it means something to me. So as I do, if I, as I go back and forth in the pool, I see the tree and I always say, you know, God, are you behind the tree? And thank you, I say, for the willingness to exercise one more day. So... As I said, you know, my disease is a disease of self-hate, aggression, and anger, and my recovery is a recovery of being kind and loving to my body. So I think I will stop. I don't know how much time I spoke, but uh, I guess there will be time for questions. Thank you. Do I need to repeat the question? Okay. Yes, Lucy. Thank you so much, Diva. Um, were you able to heal the relationship with your family? Yes, yes. I, if I could heal, if I was able to heal the relationship with my family, the the, the relationship that needed to be healed is my new, my original family, not my own children. And I was able, and unfortunately, it was before I became abstinent, so it was with outside help. But I was able to heal it and. The last few years of my mother's life, I was there, you know, taking care of her and be like she, she never, ever, ever in all the years hugged us or touched us, and she was clinically depressed because of what she went through. But I was able to be there and hug her and hold her, and she died in my arms. And I, I, I was able to really love her and forgive her and understand that whatever I went through and whatever, you know how much I hated her was not her fault. But as a child, you don't have the capacity for empathy when you're little. And so, yes, I healed it. I guess I said it all. Maybe. Yes. Hi. How did program inform your um, parenting style with your children? And your relationship? So... I work my program, uh, okay, how did the program um, affect my parenting, right? So I view the 12 steps as a manual for living, and it, you know, my relationship with my kids, you know, unfortunately, you know, my kids, my kids are now 39, 32, and 28, and I'm almost 10 years abstinent. So their younger years, I was in and out of relapse. So, but I was, I, you know, as I know that, I'm sure that it affected them, and when I made the amends to them, to all of them, 
individually they didn't know exactly what I was talking about <laughs> but I, I, know, I know that I was not as present as I could have been if I was not in and out of the food but I know that since I'm abstinent I am using the tools of the program in my work with the ki my kids I mean I know what I'm powerless over I know when I need to ask for help I make amends when I need to I I mean, my kids know about the program. I have a funny story about there. My 39-year-old told me the other day, Mom, do they give donuts in OA meetings? <laughs> and I said, no, why? And she said, when we lived in Massachusetts, I have this memory of going with you every Saturday morning to the meeting, and at the end, there were trays of donuts. And it was the only AA meeting in the town where we lived and she went with me so it was funny yes so my kids grew up in the program they've known you know my people and many of my good friends today are people I met in program and so yes I, I wish I had the program when I wish I was able to to be on the journey of recovery when they were really young but that's not my story Yes. Oh, thank you so much, Lisa. Can you talk a little bit about your um, how you sponsor and then and what you what your experience has been being sponsored over the years? Okay. So it's a good question because yes, uh, how I sponsor and how I'm sponsored. So I sponsor. Uh, okay. I I sponsor in a way that I was sponsored, which means in a very non-rigid way because the rigid way did not work for me. I was in Howe for many years, those of you who know what Howe is, and I was sponsored in a very, very rigid way and that's when I, you see in the picture when I'm like size six, but it didn't work for me because when I, when I stopped doing what I was doing, I gained 75 pounds. So I sponsor in what you call a loose way, meaning I follow the sponsee's lead. However, there were two mistakes I did in the last two years. One is that I sponsored a lovely, lovely, lovely woman in, a, in the East Coast, and, and it was very hard with the time difference to connect, and our conversations, you know, became from like, few times a week, to twice a week, to once a week, to every other week, to not two weeks, and she really didn't want to end the relationship, but I said, you know, I consulted with my sponsor, and I said, I'm not doing any service for you, and so I'm now sponsoring people on my time zone, <laughs> and the other thing is that I am, in the future, I know that it's good that I sponsor only people that have my path, so if somebody is severely bulimic, I will not sponsor them, even though I tried, because I can't relate to their experience, and I don't have the kind of recovery that they need. So I will sponsor people who, you know, have my own path. And what we do is we work the steps. Thank you. We read the big book one paragraph at a time, and, uh, and depending on how how long that person has been in program, we either do the workbook or if it's somebody who has done the steps many, many times, then there are many other creative ways to go again over the steps. 
but the recovery is in the literature, in the meetings, and in God, so we incorporate all those three things, and that's also how I'm sponsored. Yes. So, as I said before, I did not have a concept before. Oh, thank you. Oh, my God. <laughs> my concept of uh, my higher power and how it changed over the years. So, as I said before, I did not have a concept. I was very angry at God. I was very skeptical for the existence of God. And I tuned out whenever other people shared about their God. And what happened in the last, like, 12 years is that I became open to hear about your experience and respect it and listen to it and slowly, you know, develop my own concept, which, as I said, is sometimes, most of the time, it's the little part in me that knows better. And occasionally, it's that energy outside of me. And many times, it's like the loving parent that I never had. And I try to connect to that voice of that parent when I struggle and to hear that voice talking to me. So does that answer? And, and it's work in progress. I mean, it's not, I'm still working on it. And I'm, the most important thing for me is to bring it into my daily life. It's not something abstract. It's something that I need to access every day, all day, about anything. I mean, like today I prayed, my daughter is getting married at the home of my ex-husband. So there will be a lot of drama. We all know about it. <laughs> and even though, you know, she, she called me today and she said, I want you to know that if the reason why I'm staying is because of you, but I know that that's a nice statement, but all our sanity will be compromised in the next few months. <laughs> so I, I wrote about it, and I'm going to read it to my sponsor. I wrote about it, and I prayed. I just prayed. I said, God, just help me make choices in the next few months, and I'm not talking about food choices, I'm talking about life choices that will be loving and kind to myself, to my daughter, to, to the family, because it's going to be tough. And this is not catastrophizing, this is just dealing with reality. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. Can you share again or a little more on what helped you to transition to go into actually being willing to have your after what, uh, what, help, what actually helped me transition from being in relapse to being in recovery? So, you know, I think that truly it was a gift from God. Whatever that sentence is, I heard it in the past, you know, years ago, and I would almost, you know, want to gag when somebody said it. <laughs> but I truly believe it, because for 20 years, I was in and out of relapse, you know. And I'll tell you my last binge. It was December 22nd, 2007. I went to in and out and I ate what I ate. And then I drove to Baskin-Robbins. So it's 6 o'clock at night, and I'm in the parking lot of Baskin-Robbins, and I call this lovely woman who, I don't know, she was some, somewhat a sponsor, and I said to her, I'm on my way to, in, in, I'm entering Baskin-Robbins now, I'm going to buy some ice cream, I just wanted to let you know, because I really think 
you should not work with me, you should dedicate your time and energy to somebody who is more willing. And she said, I'm not sure whether you're asking me to let go of you or to hold on to you. Beautiful. And I said, I really think I'm asking you to let go of me because I can't get it. You know, I'm in relapse again. So she said, are you willing not to eat ice cream tonight? And what did I say? Let me think about it. <laughs> so I parked my car. She said, think about it. So I parked my car. I parked my car and I say, okay, God. I, that's what I, I talked to that God. I said, okay, God, if I really wanted that ice cream, I would eat it. I never called anyone before I ate ice cream. I would call after and say, I did it again. So probably there is like some seed in me that wants or is willing or is ready or something. So I said, you know, I won't eat it tonight and I'm not committing to anything, just tonight. So I called her back and I said, I'm not eating it tonight. And she said one thing that was a mistake, but we are all human. She said, why don't you get something that is sugar-free? Anyway, so I went to Ralph's and I got sugar-free pudding and I made a bowl and I, I divided it into little tiny, you know, six, they said six servings, six containers, and I ate them one by one. <laughs> but but, but I, I didn't eat it from the big bowl. I ate it from the little containers. And then, and, then I, and then I called her back and I said, I didn't eat ice cream, but my abstinence, if I'm to become abstinence, cannot include anything that looks like dessert or sounds like dessert, even if it's free. So I went to sleep. And then the next morning I called her and I say, she said, are you willing to try just today not to have anything? And I said, I'm willing for one day and I'll pray. She said, pray, ask God to help you. And I didn't have a dessert since. Now, until that December 22nd at 6 p.m., I binged on and off for 20 years in program. So how could it be? I believe that it's a gift that I got, and I prayed for the gift. I heard people in programs say, I'm praying to receive the gift. People had different ways of saying it, and I, I believe that I got that gift because not everything was removed from my desire to eat. Not, you know, I'm still, as I said, I still sometimes make choices that are bad, but desserts are gone. And it doesn't matter whether sugar-free, anything that, is that you can see on a dessert menu in a restaurant, I haven't touched in um, nine and a half years. So, did that answer your question? Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Um, how do you deal with resentment? Oh. <laughs> so, I am, how do I deal with resentment? So, I, like, I'm human, so I have resentment, especially getting up to my daughter's wedding, there would be a lot. So, what I do is, I do a few things. Number one, I acknowledge that I'm resentful. Number two, I talk about it. Number three, I, I pray for the person that I resent. And I say the loving kindness meditation, I say five things. May you be safe and protected from inner and outer harm. And I view that person in front of me. May you live your life with ease. May you be peaceful. May you be happy. And may you be healthy. And I say it, the more resentful I am, the more I say it. And I am telling you, it's, 
it's not that the resentment is gone and I start loving that person, but it helps me with the resentment. It reduces it because I'm able to wish well to the human part of that person. And that person, as much as I resent them, there is a human seed there, a human person that I, I don't get along or we have different values or whatever, but I really, especially to this man, I want all those things for him because he's the father of my three children. So when I pray, I, I, see, I, I can't visualize him alone. So what I visualize is him and the kids were all adults the way they were little kids sitting in his lap. So that, then I can say it and mean it. If I saw him the way he is today, I, I don't think I can do it. <laughs> but whatever works. I mean, whatever works. This Esponsi shared with me about how angry she is at, at her sister, like livid at her. And I said, do you have any memories from your childhood that were positive? And she said, yes, when we were really, really little, we were such good friends. So I said, so I gave her all those sentences and I said, visualize her as your little sister and say them. So whatever works, but I have to acknowledge that I'm resentful and I have to pray and I have to write about it. Another thing that helps me sometimes, I see you're getting ready to do the thank you. <laughs> so another thing is um, writing a letter to God and then writing a letter from God to me. That's an exercise that also helps me a lot when I have an issue. Thank you.